0: Hey everybody, welcome to The Daily Objective. We're going to be talking about the topic of British politics. And if uh, you're not too knowledgeable about it, that makes two of us. Luckily, we've got one of the most knowledgeable people about British politics here with us, all the way from Athens, Greece. Please welcome Nikos Sotirakopoulos.
1: Hi, Rakab. So the news is that today, Britain, the United Kingdom, has its third female prime minister, Liz Truss. Interestingly, all three of them come from the Tory party. So what happened recently Boris Johnson had to resign so there were no elections it's just that the prime minister resigned because he lost the confidence of many people in his party this was due to a series of scandals some of them less important or more important than others you might have heard of the party gate this was the parties that uh, the Tory party that uh, the Tory party leadership and uh, government officials were uh, holding while the rest of us were in lockdown, but also some uh, more uh, serious cases, such as Boris promoting some uh, people based on personal pool or people with questionable morality or having uh, allegations against them. So the knives were out in the Tory party. Boris had to resign. And there was a leadership uh, campaign which culminated today
0: with the victory of Liz Trust. Now, hold on. Yeah. Let me chime in. Which party is Boris Johnson? The Tory Party. That's a okay. conservative party. Conservative. So even though I've heard Boris is he's kind of like the Trump of England a little bit. He's kind of a loose cannon a little bit on the populist side. Was he's not okay? Good. No. So that was
1: the that was the image that must be that mostly the left had for Boris Johnson. And because he came around some around the same time as Trump was in in presidency, there was this uh, there was this uh, image actually. They're they're quite different uh, in in many ways. And one of the two things we're going to do today is a very quick evaluation of the Boris Johnson year. So Johnson came to power around uh, four years ago, promising Brexit, and he won on a landslide his elections against Jeremy Corbyn in 2019. And then the pandemic came. So the two things we're going to do, an evaluation of Boris Johnson. And then who is this least trust? And why is it that we see some conservatives that are relatively close to free market or relatively close to some of the views that many of us might agree with being quite enthusiastic about least trust. So uh, okay. there, is, there is in the air that, there is, that this is more than just, oh, there's a different suit
0: in power. So let's see what uh, the situation is. OK, so um, so Boris Johnson had to resign because uh, for a number of scandals, one of them being that he was partying during lockdowns, which I know California's governor was doing in America. It's like it it's not that it's not a deal breaker when uh, a politician is partying while everyone else is in lockdown. Or if there's a the fact that there's a lobby system, that people are getting jobs because of nepotism or some equivalent is uh I mean, that's kind of the design. I know England is not like radically different, but apparently it's uh, much more upsetting to the public. So the, the Tory, Boris Johnson, who I affiliated with populism in my mind because of Brexit, which seemed to me like sort of an anti-trade. Anti-establishment, mostly. OK, and then uh, he had to resign. But then his party's candidate won again in the recent election.
1: No, there were no elections there were inter-party elections so he did not resign as Prime minister sorry he resigned not the government resigned Boris Johnson as a person resigned oh. so so there was a leadership campaign within the Tory party mm-hmm. but whoever wins also becomes Prime minister
0: ah interesting so it's nothing like the American uh system where no no like, it's if, a very
1: different uh, yeah. it's a very different system now uh, the new prime minister Liz Truss, she mentioned that she will have the elections on time, which is uh, in around uh, two years' time. So there's not going to be snap election, so she considers she has a mandate. Another reason why Boris Johnson perhaps was not too eager to stay in his position is that she's sta- she's getting a job, which is one of the most difficult jobs you could imagine. So the war in Ukraine is on, Uh, The pound, the the British sterling, is on a a low. And most importantly, there's in front of us a winter which is going to be painful for many people due to the rise in energy prices. Britain is not like Greece where you throw some logs to the fireplace and you hope that most of the time it's hot. It will be, uh, the winter is a challenge and the energy prices are on a rise. And these are the scenes of the past hunting the Tory party. According to part of their base, it's their silly environmentalist policies. According to the left, it is the fact that they don't support enough lower incomes. So there's this double pressure now. Liz Truss, the new prime minister, says that I don't want to just give handouts. She believes that solution comes from production, not from redistribution. But she becomes a prime minister at a time where everyone in the country or the vast majority in the country are asking her, what are you going to do? How are you going to help people? So you have someone who claims to be for free market, someone who claims to be, that she's in the Thatcherite tradition, in the tradition of Margaret Thatcher, who in 1979 became prime minister and changed the trajectory of the country towards more free market. So you have such a person getting the job in the most difficult possible moment, which is before the summer before the winter, where the energy prices and the inflation and the war are all going to catch up with the British people.
0: Wow. Um, so, is is the British Parliament, like government, kind of like what I, what I understand to be the Israeli system, where anyone at any time could say, "I want an election," and it's election time, and basically <laughs> challenge the sitting prime minister or, or the sitting party?
1: Well, you need to you need a particular majority to do so. So let's put it very simply: as long as the Tory Party has a, a has a internal cohesion, there's not going to be election before the time of the election because this is not a coalition government. Again, in the elections that took place in December 2019, Boris Johnson defeated Jeremy Corbyn with a very decisive victory. And who could have guessed then? that some months later, the pandemic would hit. So let's let's do one thing at a time, though. Let's evaluate Boris Johnson. So today, Liz Troush, saying uh, paying homage to Johnson, she said that, quote, in a, in a way, uh, summing up his premiership, says, you got Brexit done, you crushed Jeremy Corbyn, you rolled out the vaccine, and you stood up to Vladimir Putin. So these are the four things, indeed, that Johnson wants to be remembered. So the first is that he delivered the uh, Brexit deal. So during Boris Johnson's days, the United Kingdom officially left the European Union. Now, is this to be attributed positively in Johnson's legacy? I would say not entirely, because it's a deal that, in a way, takes away some of the good things that the European Union had to offer, which is... Free trade. So the trade with Europe and with other places is, at least with Europe, it's not freer. And at the same time, kept many of the unnecessary regulations, which actually now come from Westminster. So the Brexit legacy of Johnson, again to his party who thought that Brexit is a symbolic thing, it was definitely a victory. For people like us who just want to be able to travel and to trade without much restrictions, the Brexit deal. Was lukewarm at best. Second thing, how he dealt, okay, he defeated Corbyn. That's again for our US uh, viewers. Corbyn was a radical leftist, a candidate for the Labour Party, which is the other major party in the United Kingdom. And Boris Johnson managed to defeat him decisively in the elections and actually send him packing home. So Corbyn, after the election, resigned. The other thing is the vaccines. So again, Johnson will tell you, my legacy is that I rolled the vaccines faster, at least initially, than any other country in Europe because also he had the AstraZeneca uh, domestically, let's say, produced uh, vaccine. The uh, The other point of view, though, is that the United Kingdom had one of the strictest lockdowns in the Western world. Very strict lockdown and travel restrictions that actually were in operation for a long time. And why is this relevant also for today? Because the inflation we see today and a lot of the economic problems we see today are a follow-up from the strict lockdown. Of course, I will say that we were also one of the first countries that exited the lockdowns because we had a stricter lockdown. Although today, in retrospect, we say that how strict was your lockdown on how well you did with COVID, this correlation is uh, very, very weak. And the fourth thing was that he stood up to uh, Putin, in some ways, this is true. On at least on the symbolic level, Johnson visited many times Zelensky. He was uh, he had a very strong pro-Ukraine uh, view. So to cut a long story short, this is Boris Johnson legacy. Most people when he took over, they thought he would be uh, the UK's uh, Trump or the UK's New Thatcher. He was just a pragmatist, and he was someone who got the country uh, found himself in a very bad uh, crisis it almost caught his life remember he was in a, he had a very bad covid early on for me one of the biggest dark moments uh, sorry dark legacies is how he completely caved he complete he continued caving to the envir- to the environmental agenda and again the united kingdom today is catching up with these mistakes that did not start with boris johnson but boris johnson continued them with having a very, very uh, un- unnecessarily sacrificial energy policy, and this is why Least Trust has promised to uh, the construction of a new, the extraction of new oil, the extraction of new gas, but also to put a halt in the moratorium on fracking. So for some years you could not frack in the UK. Liz says this is over. We're going back to fracking, and this is. Uh, this is some uh, very positive early messages.
0: Okay, well, that was Boris Johnson. Uh, in comes uh, Liz Truss. So she won like the in-party in, in party election. Yeah, um, it's
1: an election where you start something like five. Uh, there were many candidates to begin with. There was one candidate who was particularly interesting. Uh, we talked, uh, I think we talked about here at some point. But anyway, at some point, it was mostly the big uh, party uh, barons who uh, determined the balances. So at the end it was her and Rishi Sunak. Rishi Sunak is someone who is even more of a boring centrist. Nothing there. And therefore, Liz Truss uh, uh, won. So you win by having the vote of party members. So this is not a popular vote. This is a vote within some people in the Conservative Party, some uh, thousands of, uh,
0: of people. It's it's kind of like the primary elections but it's, yes. but it's but it's the party that's already in power. Yes um, and you
1: cannot join the party yesterday and vote today for the new party leader. It's 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 mm-hmm. a bit more controlled.
0: So what do you think of her? Is she uh who do you, any prediction? Okay, so let's
1: see what is her trajectory because people say that her trajectory is important. So he she used to be in the Liberal Democratic Party. So the Liberal Democratic Party is a party that used to be for example the party that was for individual rights it was for example it had the position on legalizing uh, cannabis but as time went by this was also the party that became more of a think about the obama democrat so progressive but more and more and more forgetting their freedom orientation so this is when she jumped to the conservative party so people who like her say look she has an instinct for freedom she has an instinct for individual freedom but also, she understands that freedom has to, is to be found in the conservative tradition of the Conservative Party. So I don't hold any beef with her for leaving the Liberal Democrats, because that's a party which is completely hopeless. And it's a party that supports the nanny state. So we, we, we cannot say that uh, she became, let's say, less freedom oriented. Mark Littlewood, who is the director of the Institute of Economic Affairs, now, the Institute of Economic Affairs is the most historic and the most uh, prevalent uh, free market think tank in the UK, if not in Europe. He was on uh, TV and he said that she is someone who believes in the in free market and that she is someone who is very skeptical of the role of government. So let's say she has the credentials of many free market people in the UK. And also she has been very brave in not respecting some sacred cows in the UK. And a sacred cow in the UK is the welfare state and the idea that anyone who is in poverty is because of uh, reasons that have nothing to do with them. So Liz Strauss has said that there there is improvement to be made in the productivity of people in the UK, that poverty is often the result of a bad culture, of a bad attitude. And she claims that my first solution is not giving handouts to people. My first solution is to make sure that people can be productive. So she speaks, she talks the talk. Let's put it this way. Let's see if she walks the walk. Another thing, though, that casts some shadow is, how can anyone be a member of Boris Johnson government and sticking with him through the lockdowns and not questioning the lockdowns and be pro-freedom. That's a question which is uh, which is very difficult uh, to, for me to be persuaded that someone has uh, this instinct for freedom when they were not very vocal during the last uh, now two and a half years. But initially, it's something which has some signs of, at least we're interested to see what she will do.
0: It's sad. You know, isn't it sad that like even the best kind of the best, most hopeful uh, politicians are still basically kind of speaking the language of pragmatism and uh, avoiding any sort of, quote, ideology? They don't want to be too principled. So even when it comes to welfare, nobody can just say, look, your money is your money. Free the market, free the economy. If you want to see these welfare recipients getting jobs and making their own money, enough with the subsidies, enough with the regulations enough with taxes. You, you, you won't really hear that very often. It's more like, oh, if they want welfare, they have to work for welfare. It's like they got to they gotta produce something. It's, gotta, it's still kind of the government sort of um, um, commanding the economy. Even when the government sort of tries to command capitalism, we know that's hardly better than uh, socialism out and out. So it's, uh, it's a sad state of affairs. It's also sad that like the, the last Tory woman, is, is Thatcher the last no, no, Theresa so May. Okay, when was she? When was that? Theresa
1: May was after the Brexit vote, so around
0: oh, briefly. Then. Two,
1: yeah, two thousand sixteen. She was oh. for around two years, and okay. the problem with her that is that she couldn't pass the Brexit uh, vote, and then Boris Johnson came in, and then he, we, there were the general the the elections, and that's when he won in twenty nineteen. That's why the next elections are in two years.
0: Mm -hmm. And when um, Margaret Thatcher was prime minister, she, I think, famously said, there's no such thing as society, which she may have gotten from Ayn Rand or at least could have been impacted by Rand's work, as were many people. Um, And over in the US, you know, Ronald Reagan, for all of his faults, at least had like certain uh, dignity to him, a certain uh, image of um, like stability and respect, which, of course, America has nothing like that now. And, um, you know, I guess it, it, maybe, maybe someone in England, maybe, uh, Liz trust could be that person who kind of like, um, I don't know, kind of like, uh, sets an example of, uh, what an honorable politician can be an honorable as much as that sounds like an oxymoron at this point, like an honorable, uh, you know, sort of servant in, yes. in as far as like trying to restore a country's dignity, restore some semblance of rule of law, as opposed to, uh, the, the mood of the moment and the, you know, sort of uh, emotions of the voters. Yes. So she
1: definitely wants to, she looks up to Thatcher in more than though, I think in a symbolic way. So most of you might have seen this famous uh, photo of Thatcher where she's on a military vehicle. It was around the uh, Falklands war. So Thatcher was also very strong on her take on foreign, on foreign policy. So Liz Truss, some months ago, she was, she had the position, uh, in the in the in the Johnson administration of uh, foreign affairs, so she traveled to a to a NATO base and she took a photo in a military tank, which was everyone said, she stated to look like Thatcher. So I will tell you this: Look, if at least you aspire to look like Thatcher, this is a good start, because for years around to around the beginning of the twenty-first century, the Tory Party tried to distance itself from Thatcher. They said, look, Thatcher was a, was a, Now we have the image of the nasty party, and we are a party which is not uh, uh, sympathetic. And uh, now we're more bleeding part. We care for the environment and all that stuff. This had as a result that in many ways the Tories were indistinguishable from uh, Tony Blair's uh, Labour Party. Then they were very lucky that Jeremy Corbyn came to things in Labour, so they could say, look, whatever we are, we're not this crazy socialist guy. But now again, life catches up with you. Now they have to deal with real problems. But hey, real problems is a great time to sign if you have good ideas and if you have uh, and if you have and if you believe in uh, in the capacity of freedom to of people being free to solve these problems. Again, I'm not holding my breath. People keep saying that she's a pragmatist, and for me, this doesn't sound very good. So, for example, there was a piece on the BBC kind of picturing her character. And they interviewed some people who know her and said, look, she's not going to be, she's going to try things. If they don't work, she's going to try something else. She's not, uh, She's not the, as they say, quote, dogmatic. But again, at least the fact that someone is willing to say, hey, there was one model that boosted this country and uh, saved the United Kingdom from being the Greece of the North. So let's try this again. Let's try giving people... a a bit more uh, freedom. So again, I don't think we're going to see her anytime soon in an ARC UK uh, meeting or uh, becoming a a, a member. But I'm quite curious to see what is happening. Again, there was nothing else to see with Boris. We knew him. He was a pragmatist. He was someone who would uh, change uh, his... uh... Initially, again, he was also talking the talk of uh, freedom and all that stuff. We saw what happened. With a pandemic, so don't hold your breath. And as good as it gets these days, is navigate this crisis without uh, without any destructive uh, results. And let's see what happens.
0: Well, we could see her on this channel. Although she she won't you mean you won't she won't be here sympathetic to objectivism. But we Yeah, had... she's
1: not gonna be sending super chats. Let's put it this way.
0: Who did we have uh, that I interviewed? I felt like the Forrest Gump of uh, of England that day. Uh, who did I interview in that church? when I was there. She's like a house of Lords. Oh, Baroness. Claire
1: Fox. Well, yeah,
0: I, she, she's, I, uh, she's I, a, apparently I a very big deal. <laughs> I apparently she's a very big deal. And I just sort of showed up, got her talking and went about my evening. Uh, so that was fun. Um, okay. Any other thoughts about the whole situation? No,
1: there's not other thoughts. Some people might ask what was her take on Brexit. So she was for remain, but she was remain for good reasons because she believed that, uh, the European Union, at least the f- part where they allowed free trade, is good enough. And with Brexit, trade would be worse. Then she said, "Okay, Brexit might be a chance to shake things up." So again, not very. Again, the pragmatic approach. But it's as good. It's as good as it as it gets. And also, this is a reply to people who say, "Oh, why do objectives try to change ideas? Uh, you, you know, things should start from politics." rarely things start from uh, politics i'm very sympathetic to changing things through politics but as you see you get the best that you can get and the best that you can get is someone who is a pragmatist that might use freedom more as a tool for central planning like hey other things of central planning have failed now let's try let's try also a bit uh, of, of freedom
0: all right, so uh, we have one super chat having that has nothing to do with this. Uh, Wyatt with two dollars says thoughts on Yaron's review of your rap. Uh, have you seen the history of philosophy rap, Nikos? Uh, is this your video with a million views? A little more than that, but yes, that's the one. Yep, I've seen it. Yeah. All right, you don't. You think the vulgarity was a little bit uh, much, or no? Because
1: now I can't. I I confuse it in my mind with the Kant. Or with Aristotle, so I have three videos of yours in my mind, and now I can't mm-hmm. remember which is which.
0: Okay, anyway, um, yeah, I think uh, it's going to take a little more than two dollars to get me to do a response to that. You know, he, he gets paid $300 to, to talk about me, I get two dollars, I, I don't even get the network gets two dollars from uh, from Wyatt. Um, that doesn't strike me as, uh, as very fair, but I will say, uh, you know, he he was very, very kind, very complimentary. It, it, it was very clear that. The other day, Yaron didn't want to um, start a fight. He was very, um, he tried to be very clear, like how much he likes and respects me. I, I've never seen him vouch for anyone's character that much. I mean, that's it's kind of putting a piece of his reputation on the line, uh, vouching for me that way. So I'll try to, uh, you know, I'll try to use that, um, you know, responsibly. I think there's a bit of a generational uh, difference, probably, I don't, I'm not sure how much the irony was grasped by Iran like the the fact that uh vulgar street dialect is being used for like an educational lesson isn't it, 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 that's in itself is is kind of the joke right it's like why is this uh guy speaking with this ghetto dialect now actually giving this you know history of philosophy lesson that that in itself I think is the joke that I think young people largely get like that's part of the joke so yeah but I can hear Iran saying like no like yeah but by by doing that joke, you're, you're feeding into this sort of language and all that. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, I think a lot of what he said was true or make sense about rap and, and, and stuff like that. But I'm not sure that I'm not sure if he understands the extent to which I'm sort of um, sort of satirizing that whole thing, making fun of rap sort of doing kind of like a, the, 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 the dichotomy, the duality, like taking this type of taking rap and taking history of philosophy and seeing what happens when you, combine them that to me is sort of the experiment that's sort of like the project and you know anyway i understand i, I think that uh, it's going to take a little bit more uh fleshing out to uh to co- to come up with anything and better and talking than about
1: that. the the gap uh, yaron is the guy yeah. who drives in the in the in the highways in europe listening to classical music so
0: <laughs> yeah and his strength i think has Literally. always his strength has always been uh, talking about art that he does like. He talks about classical and Renaissance art and all of that. I, he's talking from experience and his own values. And when he talks about pop culture and modern, modern things, I've always felt he's not he hasn't. Sometimes I feel he hasn't done sufficient research because he doesn't want to and he, sh- he doesn't need to. Uh, and then people pay him to talk about stuff that he's not interested in talking about. And he gives his opinion. And, you know, when he talks about, you know, rap and rock and roll and stuff, a lot of us, that's like our life, you know, that's like what we love that inspired us. We understand it's not Renaissance art, but this is our, you know, this is our thing. And, you know, what do you do? People get defensive about art. I mean, even Rand says in the Romantic Manifesto, people get defensive when you, you try to explain art or criticize art. Um, it's like they, people take it personally. So, you know, it's, it, it's definitely a, a delicate issue. Uh, I think, you know, given the fact that Yaron was being paid to talk about something he didn't want to talk about, I I really appreciated how much care he took to, um, you know, to give the full context of where he was coming from and to make it clear that, uh, you know, he doesn't want to pick a fight. So that was very nice. Maybe we'll we'll talk more about this another time. Um, But I'll also remind everybody, Ayn Rand, she mostly talked about the positive as well. Her book on art was mostly about the positive. And then occasionally she made a passing uh, remark about rock and roll or whatever that, but, but like, I mean, I think it's, it's safe to say she could, she could be missing something about rock and roll because she just is not that interested in it because she's interested in Victor Hugo and, uh, classical music. And that's kind of, think where you get most of the, uh, valuable aesthetic theory from her. So, um, you know, we love rock and roll. What are we going to do? You know, we're, we're alive. I've, I've uh, I think if I could have one conversation with Ayn Rand, I would ask her like, what is your hostility towards drums? You know, everywhere you look in the world, you see every baby reaching for a spoon and hitting a pot. You know, this is <laughs> because savages hit, are into drumming. That means the whole, it's, it's not, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. When you look at, let's compare savages to, you know, to the previous uh, generation in the, evolutionary, in the evolutionary chart, right? Drumming is a huge um, innovation, right? I think so. Monkeys can't do it. So drums are an amazing, uh, you know, it's like the invention of fire. Yeah, savages start fires. Does that mean there's nothing, it's not an amazing achievement? All right, all right. Enough of this. Thank you, Kathleen, for the 99 pence. I think we've uh, talked, we've now spoken both about uh, British politics as well as, uh, you know, the recent Yaron Brook rap music analysis. So with all that, I will say at 9 p.m. UK time, it's HBTV with Harry Binswanger on Frederick Bastiat, he'll be talking about. So that's coming up today or tonight. Uh, Thank you, Nikos. Thank you, Agam. We'll be back tomorrow for the Daily Objective. And goodbye.